Good morning. Today we're going to pick up right where we left off from last week in the Life of Paul series. It's part 16, and we're just simply calling it Ministry in Italy. Uh, let me show you a map to get us started where we've been here. Uh, I've made a little revision to last week's map in that we had the scrambly look here now because that's going to represent the storm. Probably was not a straight line as Mario referenced last week. So this, Paul, this track, this, this trip that Paul is taking here to Rome, uh, it's been anything but normal. Uh, what normally should be a five-week trip uh, starting over here at, uh, at Caesarea, uh, the map doesn't even show all of that, uh, it gets this little storm going on and we get all the way over here to Italy, but it takes, ends up going to take four months of a trip. So this is no, long, no way is this just your normal trip here. Now maybe you know something about delays when it comes to traveling. Uh, if you've been stuck a day or two in an airport and had to sleep there or something along those lines, and we can get pretty perturbed, annoyed, and frustrated about all that. But now, if you really compare it to Paul's delays, can't even really be compared to what we're talking about here. Well, there's good news. In today's verses, Paul finally makes it to Rome. So I think it's important for us to start by saying this. God has so many ways to get us where he wants us to be. God has so many ways to get us where he wants to be. If you stop and consider Paul's four-month trip, I took the time to just start jotting down some things that, that I've noticed uh, about his ways. He has used Jews and Gentiles, Christians and non-Christians, family members, friends, and enemies, Roman law, Roman officials, he, he has used justice and injustice, synagogues and jails, dreams and visions, a nice centurion and mean soldiers. He's used floating ships and sinking ships, gentle winds, hurricane winds, and he's even used a plank of wood and the doggy paddle, or maybe a mixture of both, to get Paul to where he needs to be in order to get to Rome. God has so many ways to get us where he wants to be. And one of the things that has jumped out to me over the last few weeks of these sermons here is the fact that Paul wanted to go to Rome and God wanted Paul to go to Rome. We, we see that, and we've seen it in texts all through these series. In Acts 19.21, when Paul was in Ephesus, he said... When these events were over, and he's referring to the riots in Ephesus, remember those? Paul resolved in the spirit to pass through Macedonia and Achaia and go to Jerusalem. After I have been there, he said, I must see Rome as well. Paul wanted to go to Rome. And in Acts 23.11, where Paul had just been arrested in Jerusalem, the following night the Lord stood by him and said, Have courage. For as you have testified about me in Jerusalem, so you must also testify in Rome. So God wanted Paul to go to Rome. There was even an angel in Acts 27 that chimed in and reminded Paul that God wants you to be in Rome. So it sounds like both Paul and God are on the same page. Sounds like a win-win situation. Both Paul and God are wanting the same thing. Seems like Paul should have been able to just contact his travel agency, book his trip, march down to the port, and jump on a ship for Rome. But here's the rub. Just because Paul wanted to go to Rome, 
And just because God wanted Paul to go in Rome doesn't mean that it's going to be easy. And I think that's where the struggle comes with trusting God and what he's doing in our lives. The natural tendency would be be to think, why not a leisurely five-week trip to Rome for Paul instead of a four-month grueling expedition with multiple near-death experiences? It sure seems like a no-brainer to take a five-week trip, maybe with good food and sipping cold drinks on the sun deck, taking in the sights, Paul posting on his Instagram post. That's got to be far better than four months of trials and tribulations. And when we look at the five weeks of leisure on one hand and four months of hardship on the other, it is not hard to see that God's way is different That's obvious. What's hard is to believe that it's better. That's the real challenge. Paul's trip to Rome is yet another classic example of God's way being way different than how we would do it. And what we really need to wrap our minds around, one of the things that we have to get here is that we have to be able to trust God when it comes to challenging times like this. Because I've got news for you. Almost always, God's way is going to be different than the way you and I would do it. And to think his way is the better way. And what Paul has modeled amazingly well for us is how to trust God and how to stay on task when it comes to his Christian ministry amidst the difficult circumstances. All Christians have a God-appointed ministry. It's our duty, responsibility, privilege to make disciples of Jesus. And what Paul has modeled so well is that regardless of the circumstances, he's going to share the gospel with others. Regardless of the situations, he's going to speak the truth of God to others. And that's a valuable lesson for all of us to learn for our own lives. We have seen, we've been learning about Paul. The false accusations, the imprisonments, the sinking ships, the snake bites, all of these things have gone against him. And yet Paul is remaining faithful to God and he's being faithful to the ministry that all Christians are called to do. So now as we look at Acts 28, beginning in verse 11, let's see what Luke, who is the author of this book and also a companion with Paul, has to say about some of the final details of the trip and as they arrive here in Rome. So turn your Bibles there to Acts chapter 28 or read on the screen with me as we go starting in verse 11. After three months, we set sail in an Alexandrian ship that had been wintered at the island with the twin brothers as its figurehead. Putting in at Syracuse, we stayed three days. From there, after making a circuit along the coast, we reached Regium. After one day, a south wind sprang up, and the second day, we came to Petoli. There, we found believers and were invited to stay with them for seven days. And so now we came to Rome, 
Now the believers from there had heard the news about us and had come to meet us as far as the Forum of Appi and the Three Taverns. When Paul saw them, he thanked God and took courage. When we entered Rome, Paul was permitted to stay by himself with the soldiers who guarded him. So after three months of recuperating from being shipwrecked and with the harsh winter conditions now passed, and fully supplied, remember, by the generosity of those living on the island of Malta. Luke describes smooth sailing, finally, for Paul, for these last 200 or so miles to Italy. They load up on another Alexandrian ship. It was probably the kind of ship that would carry grain from Egypt to Rome. And this was, this was a cargo ship, not a cruise liner. And right there, carved into the bow of the ship, were these images of Castor and Pollux. Those were the twins. They were the Greek gods there. They were the sons, uh, mythology would say, they were the sons of the Greek god Zeus. And one of the reasons that they were probably placed there on that ship was because they were the gods that would bless you with good luck for travel. So it seems to make sense to have those images there on their boat. And there are some very interesting details here in verses 14 through 16. First, did anyone notice Luke say in verse 14 that as they arrived in Petoli, they found believers. The gospel had already reached Rome before Paul did. Christianity was spreading all over the world. This has always been true of Christianity. There is this organic gospel movement that is sweeping through the world. And I think what I want to tell you here is, especially those of you who listen or watch the, a lot of these news networks, and you've been disheartened by all the evil and raunchy stuff that gets the headlines, don't lose heart. The gospel is still on the move. The gospel is still spreading. Believers are popping up everywhere, from big cities to out in the boonies, everywhere. This Jesus movement that happened, that began way back, in the ancient of days, it's happening right here in our country. It's still moving forward. It's going throughout the entire world. And know this, nothing is going to stop it. Amen. Second, I find it very interesting that these believers from Patoli invited Paul to stay for a week, and that he did. I guess I'm not surprised that they would invite him to stay. I mean, hey, if you had the chance to have the Apostle Paul over to your house... You might want to invite him. I get that part. And I guess I'm not even surprised that Paul would say yes. What I'm surprised about is that the centurion allowed it. Julius, if you think about this, Luke is light on giving the details here, but it certainly seems odd for a soldier to delay a trip another week that has already been months behind. And what if Paul would escape? Remember the Philippian jailer earlier in our study? When, when he thought that Paul escaped, what was he going to do? He was going to kill himself because that was the consequence if he lost a prisoner. It just seems so unusual, even risky, for Julius to stop a week when they were no more than two days travel away from Rome. And you'd have to think, if ever there was a time for a centurion to be relieved to deliver his prisoners to their appointed destination, that this would be it. Four months? It makes you wonder if Julius and the, maybe the other guards had been converted to Christianity while on this trip. It's very possible. Think, every four hours the custom was that a different soldier would rotate and then be chained to Paul. These soldiers had nowhere to go. 
<laughs> sitting next to probably the greatest evangelist ever. And what do you think they talked about? I think it happened. A third thing to notice is found in verse 15 about the believers who were from Rome. Here's what that verse says. Now the believers from there had heard the news about us and they had come to meet us as far as the Forum of Appi and the Three Taverns. Now that's not a local pub. That's a city, all right? The town that was there. These believers, they make a 43-mile trip by foot to welcome Paul. That would be like walking to Gainesville. It was an act of respect and honor and love for him. Apparently, word had reached, Paul's coming, Paul's coming. They were so ecstatic, so pumped up, that they go out and they meet him. It was the kind of meeting that was really reserved for like a a victorious general or an emperor coming to town. And if you think about it, After the 43 miles there, they had to turn around and go back. Now they're 43. School starts this week. That's 86 miles of love and appreciation shown towards Paul as he comes to town. Now, Paul had never been to Rome before, and yet they knew him. Anyone know why these people from Rome were so excited to meet Paul? Just a few years earlier, he wrote a letter. It's in our Bible today. Anyone want to take a guess at what it's called? Romans. Some call it the greatest love letter ever written. And it is just crammed full with all kinds of theology. And in the second part of of this letter, it's got just such sound, practical advice of how to live as a Christian. They had been impacted greatly by Paul's letter. And look at the end of verse 15. On seeing them, Paul thanked God and took courage. I wasn't there. I think Paul was emotionally moved. It had been a long four months, and now Paul is seeing, he's realizing it. I made it to Rome. I made it to Italy. God has kept his promise. And now, not only that, all around me are these fellow believers who are treating me with extreme kindness and generosity. i got to believe the last 43 miles back to Rome was probably done with a little bit of a faster pace for Paul. He was encouraged by this. And he thanked God, which is a great time for us just to highlight and say this. Thank God for the promises that he keeps in our lives. Not just in the good moments. Paul's having a good time right now. It's smooth sailing, Christians all around, having him stay. But also in the hard times, thank God. Well, fall. Finally, Paul reaches Rome. I think if we can try to get this in perspective, Rome was then what New York City is today. It was big. It was glamorous. It was a leading city of all cities. Paul had never been there before, so now put yourself in Paul's sandals as he walks around Rome. Big, magnificent buildings. More people than he'd ever seen before in his life. Like I think the normal cities were like, I don't know, maybe like 100,000 people. 
or so, and this is like a two million person city. Verse 16 says that he was allowed to stay by himself with a soldier guarding him. So Paul wasn't put in like a regular prison cell. We find out later here in the chapter that he was able to rent a house and that's where he stayed. So it was something more like house arrest where people could go and visit him. He couldn't go anywhere, but he could have others come and go. And it could very well be that, uh, like, how was this funded? Probably the people there in, in Rome, the Christians there, they probably footed the bill for this. So what happens now that he's here in Rome? Verse 17. After three days, he called together the leaders of the Jews. When they had gathered, he said to them, Brothers, although I have done nothing against our people or the customs of our ancestors, I was delivered as a prisoner from Jerusalem into the hands of the Romans. After they examined me, they wanted to release me. Since I had not been, excuse me, since I had not committed a capital offense. Because the Jews objected, I was compelled to appeal to Caesar. It was not as though I had any accusations against my nation. For this reason, I've asked to see you and to speak to you. In fact, it is for the hope of Israel that I'm wearing this chain. Whenever Paul wrote, came into a new town, <clears throat> one of the first things that he always did was to find the local Jews in the town. And that was usually at the synagogues. He was very passionate about first proclaiming the gospel to his own people, to the Jew first and then to the Gentiles. He was so wanting to tell everybody about the long-awaited Jesus, the Messiah. And here in Rome, Paul does sort of the same thing. Instead of being able to go to the synagogue, he has the people come to him because he's under the house arrest. So in just three days... Paul has connected with the Jewish leaders there in Rome. And right at the start, Paul starts again by saying and telling them of his innocence against all the wrong charges that have been brought against him. He has probably told this hundreds of times by now. Matter of fact, if you've been with us on these Sunday mornings for the last several weeks, verses 17 to 20, they should sound very familiar to you. Like, oh yeah, I've heard this already. And it's because you have. Paul keeps telling over and over and over of his innocence against these charges. And here's their response in verse 21. And then they said to him, we haven't received any letters about you from Judea. None of the brothers has come to report or spoken anything evil about you. But we would like to hear from you what you think. For concerning this sect, we are aware that it is spoken against everywhere. Maybe the response surprised Paul. They hadn't heard anything bad about him. All the drama that was going on in his life, they knew nothing about. That had to be a little refreshing for Paul to hear. Whew, finally, not all the gossip, not all these accusations. But what they have heard about was all this trouble that Christianity was causing. They didn't know much about Christianity, but what they were hearing didn't sound like anyone had anything good to say about it. And if you think about it, it kind of still holds true the same today. There's a lot of people who don't know about real Christianity. All they know is that like, there's a lot of weird Christians out there, and a lot of people talk bad about them. That, that hasn't really changed over the years. So they want to know about the sect, and you know that Paul is going to jump at the chance to tell them about this. 
Verse 23. After arranging a day with him, many came to him at his lodging. And the many, I don't know how many that would be. I bet it was more than what met at the original meeting. Many of them came. Uh, again, if, if Rome was big and had... A, Two million people, they expect that there's like 12 synagogues there in Rome, that, that there's a big Jewish population. Many could have been many, many people came. So they came to him from dawn to dusk. He expounded and witnessed about the kingdom of God. He tried to persuade them concerning Jesus from both the law of Moses and the prophets. Some were persuaded by what he said, but others did not believe. So Paul has an all-day discussion with this group of people. In Troas, remember, he had an all-night discussion with people. Now in Rome, he's doing an all-dayer from dawn to dusk, all day long, patiently telling them about Jesus, who he was, what he did, especially what he did on the cross. He explained Jesus from cover to cover using the law of Moses and the prophets. They would have been familiar with these teachers, these teachings as Jews. And so Paul told them how Jesus was the long-awaited Messiah. He gave it his best shot at persuading them to believe. I don't think he sounded monotone. Well, let me just give you the facts. (laughs) All you students starting school this week, and you have that kind of history teacher. I bet Paul was very passionate. I bet his energy level said so. He could hear it in his words, in his tone. He did not have a take-it-or-leave-it attitude when he was presenting these truths to these people. I think it was with all of his might. He was trying to persuade them to believe, and he took all day to get the point across. And what was the result? It's the same result that always happens. Verse 24, some were persuaded by what he said, but others did not believe. First, can we all agree, praise God, some believed? Like some walked into that meeting as unbelievers and walked out as believers. Praise God, praise God, praise God. That is a big deal. But not everyone believed. Others walked in as unbelievers and left as unbelievers. Now, all Christians are to be persuaders when it comes to the gospel. But, and that's a big but, but no Christian is responsible for making another person believe. Parents, you can't make your children believe, and children, you can't make your parents believe. Bosses, you can't make your employees believe, and employees, you can't make your boss believe. Teachers, you can't make students believe, and students, you can't make teachers believe. Neighbors, you can't make neighbors believe, and on and on and on, this relationship could go of how this happens. It is the work of the Holy Spirit that causes a person to believe. We do need to make sure, as Christians, that we are doing our part of the persuading. And then let the Holy Spirit do his thing. So verse 25, now there's this big group of people and they're split, disagreeing among themselves. 
I think all nationalities can disagree differently. Um, I know some Jews. I've seen them disagree. They get loud. I, I think it was one of those things. An argument. They began to leave after Paul made one statement. And it is a doozy of a statement. He quotes from Isaiah. The Holy Spirit correctly spoke through the prophet Isaiah to your ancestors when he said, go to these people and say, you will listen and listen, yet never understand. And you will look and look, yet never perceive. For the hearts of these people had grown callous. Their ears are hard of hearing, and they have shut their eyes. Otherwise, they might see with their eyes and hear with their ears and understand with their heart and be converted, and I would heal them. Paul, probably mostly looking at the group, not persuaded, delivers a walloping, hard, but honest final word to them. When people hear the word of God and they reject the message, when they reject repenting of their sins, their relationship and their status with God and his word, it's described as a heart that's calloused. Hard. Ears hard of hearing, and eyes that don't see. And if we fast forward that in now to 2024, the reality is that this is still a true statement. In a room of people this size, it could be possible that you come week after week and you hear and you hear, but you are indifferent to all of the word of God. Maybe it's because you come for wrong motives. Um, maybe your girlfriend comes, a boyfriend comes, a friends come. Maybe your parents make you come. Maybe you're here just because you think it's a morally good place to be. And it is but you hear and you hear and you do not listen. And I was thinking about it this week. What is the difference between hearing and listening when it comes to spiritual truth? I, I guess I should preface that because my wife says that I listen and don't hear at times as well. But when it, when it comes to God's word, the difference between hearing and listening, I think it's two things. You know you are a sinner, and you know Jesus is your Savior. Which means the difference between hearing and listening is indeed the work of the Holy Spirit. That's the difference. It's personally knowing that I am a sinner. Which is more than just knowing that everyone is a sinner. But I'm a sinner. And I need a Savior. And Jesus is the Savior. He's not just a good man, a good teacher, good role model. He's my Savior. He's really saved me on the cross 
from my sins. I came across a quote from John Newton. He was near the end of his life, and he said, although my memory is fading, I remember two things very clearly. I am a great sinner, and Christ is a great Savior. Oh, that everyone in this room would say the same thing. I am a great sinner, and Christ is a great Savior. Are you persuaded that this is true? And if you aren't persuaded, I would encourage you just to be honest with yourself as to why you don't believe. Why are you saying no to God? Are you saying no to God and yes to something else? Are you saying no to God and yes to yourself? If so, only the Holy Spirit can change your mind. And I pray that he does. Let's pray. Father, there are times where your word just does not beat around the bush. It is plain and it is simple and it can be understood and believed by a child. And yet, to the to the smartest of people with high intellect, it can't be understood at all. And that can be hard to get our head, our mind around. But it is clear that your Holy Spirit is the one who works in a person's life. And in that working, there's repentance and joy and peace and a relationship with you to be found. Father, I would pray that would be true for each and every one here today, that it would be true in a way that we are motivated by it enough that we would go out and be persuaders of the gospel. Father, I would ask that you'd let us see that you have put us where you want us to be for the purpose of your kingdom. It's so much more than just making money to survive. It's so much more than just making good relationships to to enjoy life. You are a great savior, Jesus. Thank you for revealing this truth. And I pray that all would be persuaded to believe it. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.